Today's scripture reading is in the chapter of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, in the Common English Bible. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Hi everyone, this is Pastor Craig. I'm coming to you live from Enniscrone, Ireland. As you can tell, I'm on vacation and enjoying a golf trip with some dear friends. And I thought it would be appropriate to introduce the Reverend Dr. Brian Lujioyo to you from here in Ireland because this landscape and this temperature resemble well where he got his PhD at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Brian is the Dean of the School of Theology at Seattle Pacific University. He's also the Professor of Theology and Ethics. Brian is an ordained Free Methodist elder and he comes to us this morning with a profound message about how we're called as God's people to love people and what that can mean for our lives and especially for the lives of those whom we seek to reach in the name of Jesus. So I hope you'll welcome Brian this morning. I'll be back with you next Sunday and look forward to worshiping together with all of you as God's family. Blessings to all of you and let's welcome Dr. Brian Lujioyo. Such nice applause. Thank you. Well deserved, I think. Yeah. Peace be with you. Uh, so I have a PhD in divinity. I like, that's like next level. Divinity. Not theology, not biblical studies, but divinity. And I've been in theological ed- education for nearly 30 years. Teaching and being taught the Bible and theology. And I've come to the conclusion that I have a lot of the answers. And that is because I have been shaped and helped to shape a culture of tests and exams. School's in session across the street and across the nation, which means quizzes and exams and different forms of evaluation are now taking place. As a PhD in divinity and as a dean of a school of theology, this degree and position give me a level of authority on things about Christianity that most do not have. And so when a young popular theologian might stroll into church or a classroom or into town, it's my responsibility by the authority vested in me 
to give them the test. How's your theology, your knowledge of the Bible and church history? A series of pointed questions with a trick question or two. This is what your professors do. <laughs> That's my role. This is what authority sometimes does. And this is what's taking place in our scripture reading today. Here are devout theologians testing the authority of this young and popular theologian named Jesus. They put him to the test. And in Jesus' always wonderful way, he leads them into a deeper and more profound understanding of the world with new questions and new wonderings. But it is difficult often for us theologians to enter a world of new ponderings when we have 30 or more years of answers. We've been shaped by tests and by giving them. At some point along the way, we might have confused our answers about God for the living God among us. That's what happens with the Pharisees here in this story. And for some of us, even when we're confronted with new wonderings, new questions, sometimes then we just stop asking questions, holding tightly to our tested answers. I have lived, as many of you have lived, committed to loving God with all our hearts, being, and minds. But along the way, as we collected answers and searched for them, we might, like these leaders of Israel, have become blind to seeing that in so doing, we were also trying to gain position. Because in church and in the academy, being smart, whatever that means, and having answers makes you important. And for good or ill, we have not always understood the way in which our devotion for God can sometimes be mingled with a desire to become more noteworthy. And so this is a good text for us to contemplate today, a good text for me to contemplate with you. It takes us back to the basics. That's the series, back to the basics. And if we're going to go back to the basics, we need to start in Sunday school. So I'm going to use an updated flannel graph uh, teaching style. It's called Godly Play. Um, and it's a pedagogy of wonder and play. It is meant to be a way of telling a story in such a way that all of you can actively participate in by wondering and pondering what is going on as I slowly tell the story. So today I invite you back to Sunday school, back to basics, okay? So you have to put yourself in the mindset of Camp Sunday school. That means you have to kind of put yourself back in that place of an inquisitive child, all right? Otherwise, this isn't going to work, and it's going to be a long half hour, all right? So are you guys up for that? Can you kind of put your questions kind of aside and just put your mindset into kind of that mindset of wondering and pondering with me. All right, we're going to play together and wonder together. Is that all right? Yeah? Okay, good. So, so let's start. 
Some of you think this is a table with a black tablecloth. You're wrong. This is Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And on Mount Zion, there was God's holy temple where God's presence resided. And in the temple, the temple had various courtyards. The first courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles, and this is that courtyard. In this courtyard, the Gentiles, non-Israelites, could come and participate in God's worship. Another courtyard was the courtyard of women. And in this courtyard, Israelite women uh, could come into the temple with uh, men, Israelite men, with disabilities and infirmities. And this was the courtyard that they could come into in the temple. This is the courtyard of the Israelites. And in the courtyard of the Israelites, men ritually pure for worship, they could be in this part of the temple. And this is the courtyard of the priests. It's the last courtyard. And in this courtyard, the priests would lead the Israelites in worship. And this is the temple. This is the building in which God's presence and name rested in the Holy of Holies. The temple on Mount Zion had four courtyards. The courtyard of the Gentiles, courtyard of the women, courtyard of the Israelites, courtyard of the priests. Now this is a Gentile man, a non-Israelite, and he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his being, and with all of his mind. And he came to the temple to worship God, and he was careful to keep all the commandments of God, because he was a God-fearer. But he could not enter further than the courtyard of the Gentiles. He could not enter into the courtyard of women. This is an Israelite woman, and she loved God with all her heart, being, and mind. And she came to the temple to worship. And she was careful to keep all of God's commands. And she was a widow. But she could only worship in the courtyard of women, and she could not enter into the courtyard of the Israelites. These Israelite men loved God with all their heart, with all their being, with all their minds. And they too came to the temple to worship God and had kept all of God's commands. but they could not go past the courtyard of the women because of their infirmities. So they had to stay here. 
This is a Pharisee. And this Pharisee, he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his being, and with all of his mind. And he came to the temple also to worship. And he could enter into the courtyard of the Israelites. And this is a Sadducee. And he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his being, and with all of his mind. And he too came to the temple to worship God. And both he and the Pharisee were very devout and pious followers of God. They kept to the commandments of the Torah. And the Pharisee did so meticulously. This is a priest. It's an endless bag. (laughs) This is a priest. And he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his being and all of his mind. And he came into the temple and entered all of the courtyards and was able to go through all of them to lead the people in the worship of God. And he was a devout and pious man. All of these people, all of these worshipers came to the temple because they loved God with all of their heart, all of their being, and all of their mind. And every day, every day they would recite the prayer given to them by God through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema. And they would cry out to God, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your might. These worshipers loved God because God loved them first. Through the Torah and the prophets, God revealed his daily care and love for these people. And so these worshipers came to the temple. They were obedient to the commands which told them how and where to worship God. This is Jesus, the Son of God. Now one day, Jesus came into the temple. This is the way people walk without legs. (laughs) And when Jesus came into the temple, the religious leaders began to test Jesus. The Sadducees, the religious leaders, and the Pharisees were asking him lots of questions to test him, to see if he knew the right answers, the answers that they had. And after the Sadducees were silenced by Jesus, after they asked the question, 
a Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him a question to test him. He almost fell down. There you go. He asked him, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus replied. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so the Pharisees said, Oh, yes, yes, very good answer. This is true. And they all said, Yeah, good job. Right? They had spent their life reciting this answer. They were confident in their understanding of how God loved them and how to love God with all their heart, being, and mind obediently. But Jesus, the Son of God, wasn't finished. He continued saying, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, they found this odd. And they started distancing themselves from Jesus. You see, that answer, the way in which Jesus answered, wasn't on the answer key that they had. These devoted men who had been careful stewards over the, the answers knew that this was not quite their answer. And so Jesus' answer was an uncomfortable and surprising vision of what it might mean to love God with all their hearts and being and mind. Jesus was expanding the call for obedient love. Jesus was calling them to a joyful and full love of God by showing them that to love their neighbor as themselves is like loving the Lord God with all your heart, being, and mind. To love neighbor is like loving God. This may not have been the answer they expected, but it was the answer that was calling them into a deeper love. But they did not like that. And so they turned away from Jesus with their answers instead of new wonderings that Jesus had presented to them. Now Jesus had entered into the temple and he entered and engaged the Pharisees and leaders of Israel because he deeply loved them. And God and Jesus was loving them in a profoundly surprising way. The question Jesus was asking was whether they would be open to the love of God in front of them. Could they love, could they love Jesus as neighbor? I wonder. Now Jesus, a little while later, he leaves the temple. 
and he's talking to his disciples. And he tells them a parable about some sheep and goats. These are the sheep. And here are the goats. Jesus told them the story that like a shepherd, a king would separate the goats from the sheep and would put the goats on the left and put the sheep on the right. And he would say to those sheep on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And so in telling his disciples this parable, he was helping them understand who their neighbor was and how loving their neighbor was loving God. Now when Jesus, the Son of God, born on Christmas morning, the presence of God was with us in a new and exciting way. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. Fully human and fully divine. God's love came radically close to the people. God was loving his neighbor, his neighbors with a profound sacrificial love in Jesus. And so to love God was not just to go to temple and keep the commandments, but to love Jesus, both as God and as the least of these brothers and sisters of his. It was to love their neighbor. Because God's love in Jesus reveals the deep meaning of the law and the prophets. Jesus knew the Sadducees and Pharisees loved God devoutly. But he was trying to show them that to love God means to be open to the surprising love of God in Jesus. Jesus loved them, all of them. But for Israel's leaders, it was hard to recognize the love of God in front of them because all they had were the answers. There are ways to be obedient in the Torah. There are ways to follow the rituals of worship and yet fail to understand God's love for us. Jesus, God with us, asks us to be open to his love, to be aware 
of the extravagant love God has for us. And so Jesus, in this story, is commanding us to love him devotedly and piously in our neighbors as he has sacrificially loved us. The greatest commands are about love. And love, as revealed and taught by Jesus, will mean sacrifice, the giving of our life so that we might receive it, not the preservation of our answers to protect our life. And so I wonder what that means for us. I wonder how our holding on to answers might shape us in ways that cause us to fail to recognize God as well as Jesus in the neighbors around us. And if that is the case, I wonder if we love, maybe, sometimes our theology more than we love God. I wonder. You're in Sunday school. It's kind of sermonic, but it's still Sunday school, right? And I hope you've been wondering and engaging kind of as the story goes, and that you have questions and wonderings. So wonder with me. Here, I'll give you a couple of questions or wonderings. I wonder how those excluded in in these courtyards, I wonder how they felt if they heard these words that Jesus said about love of neighbor. Like, I wonder how they received that. I wonder if they heard that. I wonder how the Pharisees felt when Jesus first said those words. I wonder if the Spirit was working in their hearts and they, were, they knew something was true, but they couldn't. I wonder what peer pressure there might have been. I wonder. I wonder where I personally miss Jesus in my life. How many times I've passed by God because of some answers I hold. What are your wonderings? What part of this story might be your favorite part? All right. So now this is time for an explicit participation. What are your wonderings? Share them with some, uh, someone next to you. What do you wonder after me having told this story in this way? What questions come up? All right. So share that with one another. Remember you're in Sunday school. Okay? I'll give you a few seconds. I hear some wonderings, and I hope you have more wonderings that you can share uh, throughout the week as you contemplate this story. I'm going to read the passage one more time. It comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, and I want you to hear this again. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. All right, we have a lot of answers. I have a lot of answers. I've been plagued by answers, maybe. And sometimes we cling to answers because we forget God's extravagant love for us, for you and for me. This is what I think might be part of this story with the Pharisees. God comes and takes flesh because he is deeply enamored with us. You are lovely. You are lovely. God loves you. You are deeply loved by God. And that is why God in Jesus comes down and suffers and is obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. Because he loves you. Back to basics. Today he walks into this church just like he walked into the temple. And he's here because he loves you. You are his beloved. You cannot pass any test for his love. There's not a test. There are no answers you need to recite to pass Jesus' test because Jesus loves you. And so we love God with all our hearts, being, and mind because he first loved us without a test so that we could be like him and love our neighbors sacrificially as we ourselves have been so deeply loved. I mean, there's a cross above me here. It's a reminder of God's love for you, for me, how much you are seen by Jesus as lovely. The Pharisees did not remember that. We sometimes forget forget that as well. One uh, professor, Stanley Harawas, states this, and I'm going to read it twice because I think it's a lovely lovely little phrase. He says, to be a Christian is to be called to a life of love. But that calling is a lifelong task that requires our willingness to be surprised by what love turns out to be. I'll read it again. To be a Christian is to be called to a life of love. But that calling is a lifelong task that requires our willingness to be surprised by what love turns out to be. When you are holding on to the right answers, like the Pharisees, it may be hard to be surprised by what love turns out to be, even when it is right in front of you. I wonder. I wonder. We're going to transition into the Eucharist. And I hope that this moment and and, and our prayers uh, at the table, this is a recognition of God's love for you, for me, for us a reminder of the way in which Jesus 
has loved us with all of his heart, being, and mind so that we could love one another. Thank you.